0: Subrata Mukherjee is the founder and CEO of Moulting Caterpillar, a boutique executive coaching and leadership development consultancy. With presence in India and Australia, Moulting Caterpillar specializes in focusing leadership on the why we do, what we do, and bring the transformation by catalyzing the how we do it. He is a certified executive coach by the world's number one coach, Marshall Goldsmith having undergone in-person training with him to achieve the dual certification in stakeholder-centered coaching and global leader of the future coaching. He is also an ICF-approved Grow More and Neptune Excellence Coach. During a career spanning nearly four decades, Subrata has been privileged to have shouldered numerous leadership responsibilities including those two at the CXO level. He started his career in the Indian Navy where he served for 24 years. He is a submarineer and has also commanded two warships including one during the Kargil war. These CEO roles gave him major insights into human behavior during high stress situations. In addition to the two commands he has been chief instructor and deputy commandant to the Navy Academy, License officer to the Prime Minister, late Shri Rajiv Gandhi, the first C.O.O. of India's only tri-service command in the strategic Andaman and Nicobar Island anti-submarine warfare officer. He has also held various roles on board five other ships and there and three submarines. Subroto has been privileged to have represented India with the US Marine Corps at Okinawa Japan and has coordinated various bilateral undertakings with US Indonesia and Myanmar navies in his corporate career spanning over 14 years Subroto has been COO of a startup Synergy RMS Private Limited and thereafter Head of Marine Operations with Listed Real Estate Majors, Orbit Corporations Limited. After five years with Orbit Corp., he joined the world's seventh largest generic drug maker, the Venerable Sipla Limited. Here, as Vice President, he was entrusted with the setting up and profitable running of a completely new vertical. In this global role where he had a matrix reporting to four members of the management council, he successfully led a 3000 plus team sized and continuously received the highest leadership satisfaction global service scores over a period of six years. Subrota's so last corporate stint was his role as the head of operations ANZ region with Sipla Australia Private Limited. He thereafter decided to embark on his current entrepreneurial journey where he brings into focus his considerable leadership experience with the aim of launching organizations and individuals into their individual success and fulfillment trajectories. Human behavior is fascinating even in today's world. Understanding the feelings and thoughts of people around you can help you skyrocket your sales negotiations, charisma, job promotions, and leadership to a totally different level. Welcome to our podcast, Body Body Language for Success, Success. where we will share experiences to showcase how body language can fast-track your career. Join Khyati Bhatt, founder of Simply Body Talk, on our podcast where we will listen into real-life experiences of established leaders who discuss How understanding human behavior through body language helped them accelerate their journey. Brought to you by Simply Body Talk, a market leader in the space of non-verbal communication.
1: Okay, so let's welcome back to another episode of Body Language for Success, where we have the luxury of inviting very esteemed leaders from different backgrounds and they share their experience of how they've transitioned from being a good leader to an exceptional leader. So today we have with us uh, Subroto Mukherjee. Uh, Without me wasting time in introducing because he's got a very exceptional background, let me have the pleasure of uh, Subroto himself introducing us. Subroto, why don't you share with us the kind of journey that you had and the kind of experiences you had till now?
2: Uh... Good evening, Cathy, and thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Uh, Well, uh, you know, you've been very kind and you said I have an exceptional journey. I I would not call it exceptional. I would call it probably a little different uh, from what uh, most people do have. Uh, And uh, yes, it's been interesting. Uh, I, uh, you know, after I was was doing my MBA uh, way back Uh, in the early 80s and uh, then I got bored of it uh, and I wanted something more exciting in life so I joined the armed forces I joined the Indian Navy to be specific and uh, I was in the Indian Navy for about 24 plus years and that was a really exciting journey because no two roles were the same Uh, so the first uh, about three years were rigorous training and after that you know, every role was a leadership role and you just grew uh, in the in those roles and, you know, your responsibilities and your horizons just kept expanding with, uh, you know, your performance and as you went past. So I was very fortunate that I had uh, good leaders, good bosses who, you know, I could imbibe from, pick up and uh, <clears throat> also I had some good postings, which are very important. So I served on board seven ships. I commanded two ships, one of them during the Kargil War, uh, and uh, I served on both three submarines. So I'm a specialist submariner. Uh, I was the liaison officer to the late Prime Minister, Sri Rajiv Gandhi. I was also the first COO of India's only tri-service command at the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, where Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, everything comes under one single command so you know it's it's like a huge huge uh, how how would i put it i would i would put it as you know let's say adani ambani tata's all coming under one person Right.
1: Nice.
2: because everyone is diverse everyone uh, nobody likes to you know be told what to do by someone from some other service and uh, you know everyone has their own specialization ethos so it's it's really uh, you know, uh, uh, it was a very challenging uh, role because that was the first time this was tried out. Now of course it's been in existence for about uh, 18 plus years but that time it was the first time we were going in so it was rather exciting. <clears throat> uh, yes, apart from that uh, I was also the Chief Instructor and Deputy Commandant of the Naval Acad- Academy where all officers are trained initially. When they so that was another very exciting uh, you know role which I had <clears throat> and uh, I was also in charge of all the you know underwater security seaboard for the western seaboard of India and uh, then I decided that you know I'd seen enough of this and I wanted to try something new so I shifted uh, into the corporate world and in the corporate world I first started off as a CEO of a startup, uh, you know, we were into providing trained manpower to the BFSI sector, uh, we were also training, uh, uh, you know, uh, the telecom and the BPO sector, we had a, we ran the call center for eBay India, and we did overseas recruiting, so I was the CEO of that, we had about 4000 employees spread across about 36 offices span India. And then from there, I moved on to a listed real estate major where I was in charge of uh, their, uh, you know, they were were building, they were having a huge project, a 15,000 crore project uh, on the seashore. So I was in charge of all the waterfront development and activities. And and in fact, I also designed a marina for the Maharashtra government. you know, which of course I think didn't see the light of day, but it, the proposal did go, and the government did keep some money aside at that time. Talking about uh, in you know in the early I mean 2010, 11, around that time. Uh, well, from there, so there I had uh, you know an experience of designing yachts and speedboats, etc. So that was a very exciting, different kind of a journey, and then from there I moved on to uh, the Pharma MNC, uh, which is the seventh largest generic drug maker in the world, and one of the largest in India, which is Supply Limited. Uh, And uh, so I was there for about nine years. I uh, literally raised and uh, ran a global vertical for the first time in its 80-year history. And from there, later, I shifted to Australia because my family is here. For a short while, I was the head of operations for Australia New Zealand region. Before, I decided to try my hand now on entrepreneurship. And I started my old, own company called Molting Caterpillar LLP. And I'm the founder and CEO of that company. So in short, that's the journey I've had till now.
1: So now you cannot accuse me of saying it's been an exceptional career. Uh, there's just been so much while you were saying all this i was just trying to you know uh, get my head around the kind of different human experiences and the kind of difficult situations that must have come across your path so we'll take it up one at a time so why don't we start with the transition from say military to corporate what was that experience all about and how did you you know transition that
2: that was very interesting and like most of my decisions you know i just go to bed and I get up in the morning and I just take the decision. So I just decided that, you know, it was time for me to move on on. and I put in my papers and it took the government about eight months to decide to let me go. And, uh, uh, you know, on the last day uh, when I was getting my farewell, I didn't have a job offer. Uh, I had taken some interviews and forgotten about it. uh, So, you know, I had the farewell and uh, one of the admiral's asked me, so, you know, I'd, I'd served with him for many years. So he said, so where are you off to? I said, no idea, sir. He said, yeah, knowing you, you know, something will come up. So I went home, slept. 5 p.m. I got a call from Singapore saying that, when can you join? So I said, well, which interview was this? Then I realized it. there was an interview which I had taken about a month ago and I had not heard from anyone. <clears throat> so I said, look, Let me have one day of retirement. So I said I can join the day after. So that's where I joined. And, uh, you know, so I had many experiences, but I thought I would uh, explain one, uh, you know, very amusing uh, incident, which was there. So uh, I got a message. My, you know, the MD and CEO of the company was a lady. And she messaged me at around 9 p.m., Uh, Because I was the number two in the company, she messaged me for something and uh, those days you know these smartphones had sort of just come out and uh, you know I had one and I was typing and uh, what had happened was I was uh, delaying the onset of my glasses, you know you always try to push it Uh, so Mm. I I, I had begun to see hazy but I still uh, wasn't convinced that I needed glasses. know it's basically for reading so I didn't have my glasses and uh, I was happily typing away replying to her messages and uh, you know she got testier and testier she got uh, you know so I was wondering why? what is troubling her why is she getting so upset and uh, well finally it it didn't it closed in a rather uh, bad note because she said okay I get it I'll never you know, disturb you uh, at night again, and good night. So now I, I was very, you know, I, I don't like these kind of unexplained kind of things. So I was very upset and I, I couldn't sleep. So I went to office early <clears throat> the next day. And uh, there was another lady who was a vice president. Uh, so I, and she was a good friend of the MD. So before the MD came in, you know, I showed her those messages and I said, why do you think she got upset? So she smiled and she said, you have messaged her in all caps. Uh, you know, so I said, okay, but in the armed forces, we message in all caps because uh, you know, there's, whether you're wearing glasses, not wearing glasses, senior officers, you're able to read clearly. And we also make our presentations in all caps, uh, you know, because that's So she said, no, here it means that you're shouting at her and you're upset. So that's the reason, you know, so so that was a huge cultural learning for me. So uh, mm. when the MD came in, I apologized to her and she she also had a good laugh and she gave me a hug and she said, yeah, okay, forget about it, you know, uh, this happens. So, uh, yes, so perceptions and, you know, your culture from where you come, it, it makes a lot of difference. Uh, so, yes, so this was one amusing incident I had, which could have gone completely the other way, but mm. Yes.
1: Okay, so uh, how did you settle in? I mean, uh, as soon as you stepped in, obviously there were some teething issues. But did you see that broadly even in terms of, say, the style of the culture of the place or the style of communication or even the body language when we talk about it? Because I've heard about you know, a lot of people who find it a little, uh, let's say, a little testing when it comes to you know, shifting from an entirely different culture to a new one. So any tips that you have because you've been through that experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely uh, you know what you're saying is right, but uh, I must admit I had a little bit of an advantage uh, because okay. uh, you know had I had I'd done a lot of my schooling in Bombay and uh, the Indian Navy having its biggest command in Bombay, I was posted here for a long time. Hmm. So uh, you know I was in I was in touch with the Mumbai culture as they say. I wasn't you know cut off so, so, uh, But the working culture was completely different. Working culture was completely different because uh, what happens in the armed forces, it's, it's like 80% black and white and 20% grey. But in CV Street, as we say, it's 80% grey and only 20% black and white. So uh, in the armed forces, if you're superior, first of all, whatever is told to you is an order. I mean, it may be told to you in a very polite way, but it's an order. You don't have an option, right? So if you are told to do something, that decision is not going to change overnight. Uh, You know, uh, so in the armed forces, what happens is people take time to study a situation before they decide what to do. The implementation, the action is very rapid thereafter. But there's a lot of planning. And and the reason is the planning is done, uh, you know, right to the last detail because you see whether it's going to succeed not succeed if the risk is too much then uh you know risk is taken depending on how critical the mission is so you will accept a larger risk if the mission is very critical you don't have any other way so all that is studied before you implement and what i see uh in the corporate side what i saw was decisions are taken fast and most of the work is done during the implementation you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, as they say, Jugard, it's, it's a lot of, you know, putting things together, the environment is dynamic, you are working out, you're, you're you know, uh, shifting on the fly, as they say, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you're working out, you, you take a decision, you know, we will do this, and then all the teams come together, and you then decide what you do, but in the armed forces, it's not like that, you say, okay, plan A, everything has multiple plans. Because in the armed forces, there is no place for second best. There are no runners up. So when we come outside, you know, it's very good. You know, well played, uh, you know, I mean, red is the winner. Well played blue. But uh, that doesn't work because you can't afford to lose. You have to win. Right. So, So that's where the armed forces come from. So you are taught to win. You have no option. There is no second option. So that's where you make plan A, plan B, plan C. And, uh, you know, whilst the strategic uh, intentions and the plan is laid out, the leaders, they have the freedom of changing the tactics according to the situation which arises. Okay. Right. So so it's a little different in, in that sense, the way you operate. Uh, and, uh, you know, here in the corporate side, I've seen, you know, you're told something in a meeting in the evening And God forbid in in the armed forces, if you were told something in the evening, you would just go out of the meeting and start implementing it. Mm -hmm. But in the corporate side, you better not do that. You wait for the morning because the whole thing would have changed. You know, your boss may turn Mm -hmm. around and say, oh, no, no, I I just mentioned it, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. know, It it still may take another 20 days to actually decide and implement. So, you know, these are some of the differences which are there and one has to, uh, you know, understand this uh, reconcile with these things and
1: then okay so that uh, uh, what we discussed is the broad uh, you know operational strategy and the working style uh, of teams in general how would you say uh, that the interaction on, on say a one on one with colleagues or with your boss or your junior is there a difference in the style and how does one navigate uh, you know um, from your experience in the
2: corporate world oh uh, yes so if if i compare the two the uh, the military world and the corporate world there's a vast difference because in the military world uh, nobody is you, you don't think you know when two people interact you don't think about what can this person do for me or what does he want from me or she hmm. want from me. you know everybody is on equal footing because you all have access to the same kind of things. Yes, I mean rank. There's a different thing, but otherwise, you're all peers. You're you're not uh, you know looking to get. And there's a huge camaraderie. You know uh, that uh, you know today you will be called. You will hand over. So we literally uh, sometimes we go on posting. Most of the times we don't have a house. You just go into a postmate batchmate's house and you say okay, I've come with my family and you shack up there. And then next day you may ask to sale or go to the front, you just hand over the keys to them and just move on and they look after your family. But uh, you know, so it's it's a very close uh, network and there are no expectations as such. Everyone would do everything for everyone else. Uh, On the corporate side, what you see is people are very wary. The moment you interact with someone, the first thing that person will say is, okay, why is this person wanting to interact with me? Unless you're in that, you know, same team or you know, same requirement to do something. But otherwise, they're very wary. And uh, you'll also come across a lot of instances where, uh, you know, your own people from the same office may not recognize you outside the mm-hmm. office. They're very friendly inside, but outside, they like to keep their, you know, personal lives to themselves. So uh, so I think the privacy part and the wariness. Uh, is very high in the corporate sector Uh, people are very wary as to why is someone approaching me why do they want to you know make friends so you make friends you make deep friends uh, you make only a few deep friends and it takes time to break that barrier and go in that's not so in the uh, armed forces because where you depend on the next person to probably save your life and limb Uh, so so yes so uh, and and also I find that in the corporate side You have to be very careful. You have to literally request people for everything, even though it's work, because uh, you know a person may just, on a critical moment, not turn up the next day. They just say I'm sick, and that's it. You know those things don't happen in the armed forces. You, everyone knows their job, and everyone has a very high sense of responsibility. And there's no question of calling in sick or not coming or not doing their thing. Here, every person is independent they decide whether they want to do something or they don't want to do something and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of as they say socializing which is required to get uh, things done you know so so the coordination part and the human to human interaction is very high on the corporate side uh, you know so yes
1: okay all right so because body language is a subject that's close and dear to me so I'll ask you a question about body language now. That when you were navigating in these two different environments, any examples that you have to share with the listeners about, you know, how body language helped you to either navigate your role or understand people better or even, you know, arrive at a decision in a much more efficient manner.
0: I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Before we continue... I would like to briefly tell you about the organizer of this podcast, Simply Body Talk. Simply Body Talk works with senior leaders in client facing roles to help them sharpen their understanding of human behavior, resulting in better client relationship, higher sales closure and more effective negotiations. All of this by using different body language techniques. We have worked with several leading organizations worldwide, which have seen measurable improvements in their work efficiency after engaging with us. That's a brief about our work in the corporate world. Now back to the episode.
2: So before I start answering that, I'll just give you an example how, you know, perceptions and body language is so important. Hmm. So in one of the companies where I worked, you know, I I got in in a junior position because there was nothing else open and within 2 years of joining uh, i suddenly got a 5 level promotion in one shot nice uh, so and that was the first time in the history of that organization where someone had you know literally jumped across from the junior most to the senior most levels so there was one uh, gentleman who was uh, who had been in the organization for 20 plus years and was pretty senior uh, and uh, he somehow could not reconcile with the change in my role and you know the expansion because i was doing something else earlier so with that promotion uh, my role became like a global role you know mm-hmm. uh, from, from a local role uh, so that did not sit very well with him and uh, he continued to try and focus on me as my earlier role uh, so he wanted me to come and give him a report on some issue every morning Hmm. so I told him I said look it's not possible now Uh, you know there is someone from my team who's looking after that and he will give you a report and I'll probably join you for a meeting once in a month or once in three weeks and if there's something important which comes up in between I'll definitely keep you but I can't do this every morning thing he says nothing doing you will have to do it and uh, then he told his CA to you know jam my (laughs) outlook so every morning for the next one year I had she put it and you know I had uh, this meeting from 9 to 10 every morning and uh, I of course it was very irritating but I ignored it and then he uh, you know went up to the management council and complained against me uh, you know so I was called by the global CHRO and asked Sean I was, he, was, he asked me, what do you think I should do with this? So I said, what do you think you should do? So he threw it into the dustbin in front of me. I said, you've done the right thing. So so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I told him, I said, don't worry. It's, you know, it's just a perception issue with him and it'll all fall into place in a few months. Uh, so yes, yeah, so, you know, these things happen. And uh, body language is very important especially <clears throat> when you're uh, dealing with you know you have to deal differently with your juniors seniors peers uh, so you go into a meeting with seniors and uh, you know you see a lot of uh, the alpha male or you know the leadership kind of uh, body talk you see people standing with a little spread out kind of a thing you know arms across the Seat handles, or you know, spreading themselves out on the table, or standing with their hands on the hips, etc. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the indication. Like you know, I'm the boss. Par. Those are power kind of indications. Uh, so, whenever I went in there, I realized that if I mimic their uh, body language, it will lead to friction.
1: Hmm. Right.
2: You know, because you can't have two or three alpha males in the same room. So you need to focus on what is important. What is important is getting the job done. Hmm. Hmm. So you don't mirror them. You, you rather, uh, you know, let them feel happy about it so that they can let go of, uh, you know, that part of their brain which needs to assert assert their, you know, dominance. And we can then focus on the job rather than, you know, that part similarly if if you are the leader of your vertical and uh, you know you suddenly have your team members come in someone wants to speak to you you need to be very conscious that you do not give out such signals you know when especially when they come into your cabin or your room you know uh, you you need to make them feel welcome and make them feel comfortable so you know it's it's good that you also occupy lesser space have a bigger smile you know make eye contact uh, you know keep uh, uh, keep all your electronic items aside in fact the more junior a person the more I would give them time a single because it would take a lot of courage for them to come in and you know take your time right Mm -hmm. so you need them and and they would always come in with something very very vital. Either they wanted you to know something which was going wrong or they had a serious problem. So you need to give them that time. Seniors can handle themselves, that's why they are in that place, Uh, you know. So so I also had this uh, uh, principle of mine that if I got a call from a very junior person, even if I was with the MD, I would excuse myself and take that call. But if I got a call from a senior person in my team, I would wait to finish my meeting and then take the call because that person is supposed to be able to handle the problem. But if it is a very junior person, the fact that that person has, uh, you know, bypassed five or six levels and given me a call means that the person has tried, knocked on all doors, and it's, you know, but it's important enough to, you know, reach out. So you must give them that. Uh, you know, kind of respect uh, and 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 understand that it's taken a lot of effort for on their part to give you a call. So it must be important. And, uh,
1: wow, that that is a very different and a very interesting perspective. I mean, I never thought of it from this angle, but now whatever you're saying, that makes total sense.
2: Yeah, go on. And, yeah, and it's and it's worked. It worked for me because uh, it saved uh, many a disastrous situation and uh, I and it, it also you know opened up the channels of communication and that's why i generally knew whatever was happening around the world because people felt free to pick up the phone and speak to me so it has its benefits okay that's
1: great to know okay now let's come to the transition to being an entrepreneur what is the experience and do you miss your corporate life now
2: oh no i don't miss uh, because uh, you know i've been I've been working for close to 40 years. Hmm. So this is... This is one part of the journey which I never thought I would do. You know, I, I always told people I'm bad at business development and now I find that that's my primary job. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so, yes, it's, it's good. It's, it's good that uh, I'm, I'm doing it. And uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm focused on uh, what I'm good at. Uh, so people can only organizations can only benefit from you know hiring so i don't have an issue on that part of it uh, hmm. and i've just started the journey so yes uh, still a long way to go um, let's see how you know which way it moves on but uh, it's been exciting even these last uh, few months where i've started off because uh, you know designing your own website and Know, registering your company and getting into all of these things for yourself. I and mean, until now, I was doing it for others. Now I'm doing it for myself. So, yes, it has a different kind of a pleasure all uh, too well.
1: So, which is the most uh, exciting or uh, let's say the most frightening part of being an entrepreneur? What would you say? Uh,
2: exciting is when I see my clients, you know, when I see their light, eyes light up. they get Hmm. that aha moment and something clicks that's the most exciting part uh rest uh, frightening there's nothing frightening because i i really uh you know i mean it's not going to uh make or break me in any, any in any way uh you know, the, uh, if I uh, and there's also a finite number of clients which I would take on because this is more about, you know, I, I don't want to uh, do run this as a business business. I don't want it to become run of the mill, hmm. right? This is a very boutique kind of a thing, very focused. So I, I wouldn't be able to handle more than four or five big clients and a few individuals in a year because if I do more than that then I'm not doing justice to them. And, okay. and I don't want to, you know, take on five, six people on my team and do it because uh, their experiences and mine would be different. So it would dilute what I'm trying to do.
1: Okay. So let's talk about what you're doing right now. I think that will give a, 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 you know, deeper perspective to all of us. So I think you've uh, started your own coaching. Business, so tell us a little about what you do and what inspired you to take this up as your career. So I
2: have, uh, you know, people can go onto my website www.moltingcaterpillar.com m uh, o u l t i n g So this is a name I hit upon uh, one night while I was sleeping. Like I generally get my ideas while. Well. Uh, so so I you know it, it's basically to do with transformation. So, caterpillar transforming into a butterfly so caterpillar Mm. molting so molting caterpillar so that's how i got this name and i've registered it and i've also registered uh, the logo Uh, so uh, what i offer is i offer three uh, services which on the surface there are many organizations or many people who offer them but because of my background, there's a difference to what I offer. So one is executive coaching, the other one is leadership development, and the third one is personal coaching. So personal coach, so I'm a, a certified international coach. Uh, I've been trained by the world's number one executive coach, Marshall Goldsmith himself. Uh, and in person, uh, plus I've done two more ICF coaching certifications. Uh, And as I told you, I was also the chief instructor, uh, you know, of the Naval Academy in the Navy. So all told and done, uh, you know, that's there. And I've done a lot of training during my career. But coaching is not training. Uh, There's a vast difference because in training, you have a fixed curriculum, you have a process and that's what you're doing, right? So for me, in the personal coaching where I, uh, you know, interact one-on-one with individuals, uh, so they're irrespective of what issues they have. I look at it and I you know, help them cross over and transform. And when it comes to exec- executive coaching, obviously I am retained by an organization, not by the individual. Right? So it's the organization primarily which, you know, uh, brings to my notice which aspect of that senior employee they want to change because they want to they generally it happens you know when you're looking at someone in the leadership pipeline or somewhere else you know so then i also get in touch with that individual and ask them i tell them that look this is what your organization wants are you aligned and then i have my own way of you know doing surveys and looking in and you know those are trade secrets so uh Yes, so by the end of, uh, I normally take at least four to six months or more per person because only then can you see real transformation and change and how that person comes across as a leader and changes. When I talk about my leadership development program, uh, in that program what I do is I generally take the B team, the second line, you know, the ones whom uh, an organization has have identified as probable leaders going forward three years down the line two years down the line that these are the people who will either come into the c-suite or who will you know lead verticals oh. so they are the people i prepare holistically to take up that role because uh, my experience has been that in the corporate world leadership is somehow equated with top performance. If you're a top performer, people say you're a leader. You aren't. I mean, you could be, but leadership transcends that performance. Performance is not a marker to be a leader. Right. And and so we need to prepare people to lead, which is to inspire their team, the people who are dependent on them, people who look up to them, to be able to inspire them to go above and beyond their normal capabilities. So a leader is that catalyst, that person in whose presence the team would be able to go above and beyond. And if you remove the leader, they would you know their performance would not be that good. So that's what you're looking at and you know uh, and, and that's what I aim to help organizations create and get. And how about leadership, in an environment where people want to remain. I mean, that leadership is aligned to the vision of the organization. And when the leader goes, he has not, he or she has not left a barren landscape. A lot of leaders are there who get the job done, but they've left pure destruction behind them. You know, So, so that's not the kind of leadership which nurtures an organization. And more and more, we see organizations have very short life cycles. That is because the leadership of today is very focused on the PNL, you know, on, on, on the share market. What What is the size of the share? What is happening? They're not bothered about what is happening to the people. So you see in 5-10 years, they get decimated after that. So they rise up, they make a lot of money and then they just disappear, leaving everyone desolate. But you look at the venerable companies which have lasted 80, 100 years, 150 years, they all have very good leadership, very good ethics, you know, uh, they have a lot of programs. So all that. So what are the learnings from there? Why do you say that the armed forces are the cradle of leadership? Because an armed forces leader doesn't have anything to give his men. He, he cannot increase their salary, He cannot do. but his men will follow him to death. How does that happen? Can you do that in the corporate world? No, you turn around, everyone would have gone. Right. So, yes. So that's what I aim to do. And that's what I do.
1: Okay. So I think the uh, main key te- takeaway for me is that leadership is a long term journey. It can't be created in one day and it's not something that you know you can just uh, hold up the flag and say okay i've become a leader and my responsibility ends here right you keep carrying the torch and going along the way and staying that leader who can inspire the team that's what
2: i understand from uh, what you said absolutely today people are even confused influencers think they are leaders i mean just because you've got five uh, you know two million followers on say facebook or twitter You don't become a leader. Nobody will follow you anywhere. I mean, they're following you because uh, you're either, you know, giving them masala, something exciting to look at, you know, fashion, some gossip. But they're not following you because you inspire them, uh, you know, to do uh, something. Or if you you came on the road and say, okay, give me, uh, you know, I want you all to jump off this cliff. Nobody would jump off. Right? But then there are leaders who would. And, in the armed forces, when you tell your men, see, even if you look at the Kargil war, the ratio was 1 is to 10, one officer for 10 Jawans, right? Because in the Indian armed forces, you lead, officers lead from the front. Unlike the Americans, if you look at the American armed forces, you will only find the enlisted men getting killed. You'll hardly see officers getting killed. They would maybe get killed in a rocket attack or a shelled attack, but they're hardly, the sergeants generally lead, you know. So uh, there's a difference in the way we lead our men and fight. We lead from the front, right? And 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 that uh, comes because you should not ask your people to do anything which you cannot do. That's a very simple thing.
1: So I think there are a lot of uh, thoughts that you're leaving us with. Uh, so before we end this interview, there are two signature questions that I asked every guest who comes on to the show. Let me ask both of those to you as well. So you can try and give me a brief answer so that you know it stays a little crisp. Okay. First question is, what defines success for you?
2: Being able to sleep peacefully every night.
1: Okay, nice. And uh, what is that one trait that you believe can help a good leader to become an exceptional one?
2: Uh, authenticity. Okay. Say what you mean and do what you say all right
1: so uh let's uh, you know have two words of wisdom from uh, your uh, journey before you know i say a goodbye because i truly think that you have lots to inspire and i feel just a half an hour interview is not enough to do justice to that so any two or three tips that you would like to share to people who are looking at a similar kind of transition that you had and the kind of you know growth of journey that you had
2: uh first thing i would say is Don't try and follow anyone else, carve your own path. Every person is unique, every person, every person's journey is unique. So have confidence in your abilities, do the right thing and move ahead, but keep upskilling yourself. Uh, I always believe in upskilling and I always upskill myself every couple of years. And and that's really helped, you know, help me in good stead. Uh, So that is something you you can't, uh, what got you here will not get you there in the sense those days have gone where you did one DSC or MSC and, you know, went through 20 years of your career. And that's not going to happen. So you have to keep upskilling because technologically and process-wise, the world is changing very rapidly. You know, every three, four years, you can't even recognize the technology which was there. So you have to upskill or you'll be left behind. Right.
1: So amazing insights. Subroto. Thank you so much for taking out time and talking to me and inspiring the listeners of the show. And I hope to, you know, meet you again soon and us to discuss how leaders are made and leaders are born. So thank you so much once again for taking out your time.
2: Thank you so much, Pyati. I really enjoyed uh, this session and thank you so much once again for having me and thank you everyone for listening in
0: thank you if you enjoy this story and could see how having people skills can help you in your career subscribe to our podcast to hear other interesting episodes just like this brought to you by simply body talk a globally present company that specializes in helping working professionals like you around the globe to achieve Excellence in your career using nonverbal science. Check us out on www.simplybodytalk.com.